Hi, I'm Bradley Simmons, personal trainer for some of the UK's most loved celebrities, football icons and Olympic athletes. With so many opinions flying around and influencers influencing, it's time to weigh up what is fact, what is fiction and what needs more focus. Dr. Asim is a British cardiologist, public health campaigner, author and advocate against the use of COVID vaccines. He campaigns for people to reduce sugar in their diet, promotes a low-carb and high-fat diet and encourages the reduction of medical over-prescribing. He was the first science director of Action on Sugar in 2014. He was listed as one of the Sunday Times 500 most influential people in 2016 and was twice recognized as one of the top 50 minority ethnic community member pioneers in the UK National Health Service by the Health Service Journal. Asim, it is so great to have you on the podcast. I have to say, I absolutely love your approach to health and how passionate you are about evidence-based medicine. I have to say that. But before we start, what do you say to those that will claim that you're an anti-faxer and you're potentially spreading misinformation? Yeah, so, you know, first of all, Bradley, thank you for having me on. Pleasure. Um, I love the title of your podcast, Facts Over Feelings. So that's yep. exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so in terms of those facts, um, you know, uh, I, I, I'm somebody that's a big supporter of traditional vaccines, right? Some of the safest, uh, most effective, life-saving medical interventions in the history of, of medicine. Um, the proof of is it, proof is on my on my left arm. Yeah, got loads of scars there. Of all the different even smallpox vaccine I had in India when I was born in 1977. Wow. So um, that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is in relation to the most most recent controversy I've been involved in, and I've been involved in quite a few controversies over the years in terms of myth busting when it comes to health, whether it's about obesity or sugar or or, or low carb diets or statins or whatever else. Um, I actually was double jabbed myself and I went on Good Morning Britain in February 2021 to help explain, understand and tackle vaccine hesitancy. So um, I think it's, yeah, I don't think that's uh, factually correct. Let's put it that way yeah. to call me an anti-vaxxer. Cool. Love that. <laughs> okay. So what made you become a cardiologist? Where did you study and mm. how long have you been a cardiologist? Wow. For those that don't know what yeah. a cardiologist does, yeah. please explain. So, so cardiologist, I mean, so first of all, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a doctor, qualified doctor, 2001, yeah. Edinburgh Medical School, grew up in Manchester. Um, cardiology is essentially the subject uh, in medicine, which has got everything and anything to do with the heart. So in terms of how heart disease develops, how the heart functions, um, different therapeutic interventions you can do for people who are having heart attacks or heart failure or rhythm disturbances. It's quite a broad field. Um, I uh, actually wanted to pursue a career in cardiology probably from quite a young age. Um, I had, uh, sadly, my older brother died when I was 11 years old. He was 13. And um, he actually died of something called viral myocarditis. He basically just had a, a, a simple bug and randomly... Um, you know, probably even up to one in 10,000 people who get like a cold, it can attack your heart. And in a proportion of those people, the immune system attacks the heart and it causes death. And within a week, he died. Um, I do have a medical background. Both my parents um, were doctors, now passed, sadly. Um, so there was that interest initially. Uh, and then, you know, I had this sort of, um, I just found it fascinating. You know, I, I was very curious about... Um, Heart, the heart as an organ and how it functions, but also, you know, I developed an interest in medical school around trying to combat heart disease as well because it's still the number one killer in yeah. the Western world, and um, well, and I wanted to play a role in trying to be part of yeah. that 
you know, helping people with heart disease and maybe preventing it. Well, I've got a fact here, as it is fact over feelings. <clears throat> Cardiovascular disease is the top cause of death in the UK, killing 170,000 people a year. That's 460 people a day. Mm. So how does heart disease occur? Great question. So it's multifactorial. There are a number of different factors involved in development of heart disease. So your traditional medical model, we talk about risk factors, and the, and the classic risk factors are type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, smoking, and an abnormal cholesterol profile. Um, it's really crucial I say that because I've also been involved in busting the myth that high cholesterol is a primary driver of heart disease when it's not. It's a bit more nuanced than that. So those are your traditional risk factors. But what I've been involved in doing over the last several years is trying to get even further into the roots of those. What's, what's the causes of the causes? What yeah. people, why are people getting type 2 diabetes? What's driving high blood pressure? Smoking, of course, we know. That's a, a very slam dunk, clear, yeah. you know, uh, um, has a negative impact on the heart and blood clotting or whatever. Um, and then the cholesterol profile that that is linked again to heart disease. And uh, what we talk about, Bradley, which I'm sure will resonate with you, is, is something called insulin resistance. So essentially, that's the, the root. The, the latest evidence tells us the root of heart disease is something called insulin resistance, which is basically your body becoming resistant to the hormone insulin over time. And uh, what raises insulin um, are your, from a diet point of view, is basically ultra-processed food. So that's your high glycemic index carbohydrates. And that's like, like 70% of people's diets. Well, yeah, well, certainly, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, in the UK, more than half of our diet comes from ultra-processed food and yeah. probably another proportion comes from low-quality carbs, like sugars and refined yeah, carbs and stuff. It doesn't mean having it occasionally is going to be a problem, but the amount we're consuming... Um, it means that you are you're going to have chronically raised insulin levels. Insulin itself, when it's raised above normal levels, causes direct damage to the inner lining of the heart artery. So that's so you've got the diet side. Predominantly, that's what it is. Then you've got obviously being sedentary. You know, exercise in the right amounts certainly is going to be make your body more insulin sensitive. So you're less likely to be insulin resistant. That's yes. really important. Well, the government says 13 minutes a day, and that could be just brisk walking. Yeah, mate. Honestly, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Now, it yeah. depends on what your individual goals are. And obviously, you're, you know, you're an expert in this area that people want, you know, build muscle, they want mm. a six pack or whatever else. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, or for performance, athletic performance, right? If yeah. you're comp in competitive sport, very different to the average person. But I think that's really important to mention that, you know, I, I, I kind of say, you know, there's a, uh, exercise is overrated. Movement is underrated. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. When it comes to health and longevity. And, uh, and just linking to that, Bradley, as well, when you look at the, um, the blue zones, these areas around the world where people live to like 100 years old in yeah. good health, none of them really had access to gyms or were pounding in the gym. It was just about being yeah. out in nature. It was walking well, up hills. Well, there's a place in Italy, isn't there? They've got the Mediterranean diet and it's up, up, in, the, up, in, the, up in the hill. So constantly stepping, there's always that resistance of walking up the hills yeah. and having that Mediterranean diet, lots of virgin oil, lots of fish. Absolutely. And mate. they're making their own carbohydrates. So it's not highly processed. Absolutely. It's all whole foods. 100%. 100%. You hit the nail on yeah. the head. And then the third bit, which I think is probably the most neglected in terms of... Um, maybe the discussion around it, but also the management of it is chronic psychological stress. Okay. So just to give you a, an example in terms of facts that's understandable to the, to the audience here, is that if you look at, and, and we've got good data now, you know, we, we didn't have years ago, in the last few years, we've got good data that tells us that if you're chronically stressed, the risk of developing heart disease or having a heart attack is exactly the same as either being a heavy smoker Wow. having type 2 diabetes or having high blood pressure. 
So that's a big neglected area because people often don't know what to do about it or they think it's part of life or whatever else. And one of the ways to combat, and that can drive in some resistance as yes. well, and there's good evidence for that. And I guess right now, inflation's going off. People are worried about COVID. There's all sorts going on well, right now. Everyone's stressed. Post-lockdown pandemic. Yes. All, you know, sorry, yeah. All of that stuff. everything. 100%. 100%. Businesses going down. So, so there's a cultural yes. problem, which is driving the chronic psychological okay. stress. So if you put those all together, you know, lifestyle and environment, you know, because yeah. a lot of this is environment, external yeah, stuff, right? Um, relationships, as you said, job, you know, the two biggest causes of stress in people's yeah. lives are work and relationship yeah. stress, right? So um, when you put it all together, that probably accounts for about 80% of the development of heart disease. So wow. we'd say maybe up to 20% is genetics, 80% is lifestyle and environment. So my approach has always been look at the root cause in those individual patients, but also look at it on a population level yeah. so that we get, you know, so that we get... Um, uh, you know, we can we can actually reduce the prevalence of heart disease and even you know reverse it, and that's what I'm, I focus on from my research. And have you seen a, like a, a comparison difference within different ethnic groups? Obviously, we're very multicultural in the UK. Yeah, well, yeah, so sure. Um, certainly within uh, the South Asian community, but from India subcontinent, we are more predisposed to developing the risk factors of heart disease, even heart disease. Um, earlier than people from Caucasian backgrounds. Yeah. And it's probably a combination um, of the diet to some degree. We, we eat a lot of very high refined carbohydrate yeah. diet. You know, um, India's the largest producer of sugar. We've all, you know, Indians in particular have uh, consumed quite a lot of sugar. You've, if you're an ethnic minority in a foreign country, if that's not your, then th there tends to be also, you know, one of the things that, is um, in general, on average, there is more discrimination and that contributes to stress as yeah. well. Um, so yeah, there is definitely that. And just again, to give it some perspective, if you're from South Asian backgrounds, on average, you'll develop type 2 diabetes, which is a major risk factor yeah. for heart disease, even probably at the root of dementia you don't and have even to be, cancer. You don't even have to be obese. Right? No, you don't. No, you don't. And that's Absolutely. what people think. They think yeah. obesity, type 2 diabetes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you can still be slim and have type 2 diabetes just because your lifestyle, well, your nutrition. Yeah, up to 40% of people with a normal BMI, Bradley, yeah. normal, not yeah. even overweight, yeah. will actually be metabolically unhealthy, will have risk factors for heart disease linked to excess body yeah. fat. So, it's, you know, body fat percentage yeah. is so important. But what are the government doing to educate people on this? Because it, I feel like they're doing nothing. They're yeah. leaving it to like myself, yourself, yeah. to try and educate, I guess, our followers and stuff. Yeah. But we're not learning this at school. Uh, there's no advertisements on it. it yeah. it's, it's incredible. Yeah. This is the leading cause death in the yeah. UK. Why are people not being educated? Yeah, yeah. Um, they probably think they're doing enough education, but obviously it's not, not good enough. And also it's flawed. A lot of it's still in, stuck in this low fat, yeah, high yeah, carbohydrate, yeah, lower cholesterol stuff, right? Yeah. So there's not enough of that. And then the, the, the other problem, Bradley, is that a lot of what is now shaping public health in terms of the education, in terms of policies, is being influenced by these big, powerful corporations yeah. that are there to make money, not to look after your health. So, for example, the food industry, there's a lot of emerging evidence now that these ultra-processed foods we talk about are probably deliberately engineered to encourage overconsumption, food addiction. Um, and in many ways, these industries copy the playbook of what Big Tobacco did for years, which is, you know, trying to get more and more people hooked to cigarettes. So from their perspective, and, and the thing is, these corporations have a lot of money and power and they influence governments. And what it means is there isn't enough done to combat what they're doing. You know, they're influencing the food environment, uh, advertising. Um, you know, I think people probably have to appreciate that their food choices are more influenced by the environment than it is from knowledge and education as such. 
you know, and that's uh, and that's something we need to really sort out. Well, it's a scary world we live in. We can't really trust what we're seeing, what we no. watch, what, but, what we're told. But but Bradley, even you know, for me, when I started campaigning on this obesity issue about ten years ago, I started with saying that you know the medical profession need to get it right. So, for example, the hospital food and hospital food environment needs to be healthy. But still, about you know seventy to seventy five percent of the food purchased in hospitals yeah. is essentially junk food. I saw that. So, you know. We should be setting the example, but that's what's happened. These corporations, these you know, they've managed to get their ultra-processed, toxic, addictive, you know, so-called fake foods um, available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Even bed-bound patients on a hospital ward. There are contracts with hospitals where they have to deliver crisps and sugary drinks yeah. and stuff to the patient. Yeah. And what that does is it means that for the patient and for people in hospitals, there's studies on this actually, it sends a message that this sort of food, eating this food is acceptable and it's probably not very harmful. So that's what we need to really combat as well. And people say, talk about calories, for example, you're saying those packet of crisps, but that packet of crisps is full of sunflower, for example, which isn't great for our heart. No. If you're eating that type of food constantly, yeah. it's going to have effects, maybe not now, but maybe in the long run as you get older. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a slow kind of poison, if you like. Yeah. That's the way to look at it. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, it's about, it's not about... Um, but everything in the moderation. Quali the quality of the, f the calories is more important than the amount, oh, right? 100%. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I try and educate my clients all the time. They said, I know I need to be around 2,000 calories a day. But I said, but let's make sure those 2,000 calories are really going to fuel you. Yeah. They're going to fuel your brain. They're going to energize you. They're going to make you feel good. Yeah. And they're going to make you, as you get older, you're going to be stronger, you're going to be healthier, and you're going to have a good long life. Absolutely, mate. And I try and educate them on that. Absolutely. A lot of personal trainers or online coaches in my, they go 2,000 calories, you can eat muffins, you can do this, as long as you have your 2,000 calories. And I, that's not my approach at all. And no. Maybe it's easier to get clients that way. Yeah. But I stick to my guns because yeah, obviously, yeah. like you, uh, you have to stay credible. Um, here's another fact. COVID-19 and the pandemic is linked to 30,000 excess heart disease deaths between March 2020 and August 2022. There were more than 30,000 excess deaths involving heart disease, an average of 230 a week above the expected death rate. Yes. Now, what are the latest numbers? Have they dropped or have they risen? Yeah, I mean, it's still it, that those figures are still relevant right now, um, Bradley. So we've got a big problem with excess deaths that are continuing well above 20 to 30 percent above average on a weekly level. Um, in terms of the British Heart Foundation figures, I looked at that paper, which is quite interesting, and they said that these deaths are not linked to COVID. So what's driving it? Mm. And of course, there are going to be lots of different factors there. What are the factors? Well, because you're going to have a lot of people arguing. Yeah. So, so in, um, as we've talked about before, you know, the main normal risk factors of heart disease are things, as we've said, poor yeah, diet, lack of, yeah. all that kind of stuff. They will be playing a role. Certainly during the pandemic, I think people's diets got worse. There may be an element of people being more sedentary. Don't know. Because I mean, also it can encourage people to go outside, you know, during lockdowns and walk around. So we don't know too, too much about the exercise side. Certainly diets didn't get better. Uh, and of course, there was a lot more stress on people, right? Lockdowns, you know, it was, it, it was very damaging for mental yeah. health. So it would have played a role for sure. But um, what I do as a, as a clinician, as an academic, as someone that is a, um, has some expertise in what we call evidence-based medicine and breaking down data, is uh, I looked at whether or not the COVID mRNA vaccines, the ones that we've used predominantly in this country, we used AstraZeneca at the beginning, but also you know, certainly after the summer of 2021, it was predominantly Pfizer, is whether there's been a link between the vaccine and an adverse effect on, on the heart. And when you look at data like that, Bradley, you have to break down different quality levels of data that are going to be more, that are going to send you closer to the truth. 
right? And and the highest quality level of data is something called the randomized control trial. So just giving perspective here, the rollout of the vaccines were based actually upon what we call a double-blind randomized control trial, where you've got you know twenty thousand people taking the vaccine, twenty thousand people not, and they try and remove any biases or the baseline. It's like having um, a clone of you, literally. That's what you try and do, and in you know one of your clones takes a drug and the other one doesn't, and you then follow them up and see whether that drug has an effect, right? So that gives you the best available evidence on the benefit of any intervention. With a caveat, Bradley, and the caveat is this, and this is, goes back to the root cause of the problem where we're at, at the moment, is that the, those trials predominantly and historically, and certainly with the Pfizer and Moderna, are sponsored by the drug company, designed by the drug company, analyzed by the drug company, and then we have to trust their results when they keep their raw data, of which they make these conclusions, commercially confidential. So think about that. Yeah. That that in itself is off, right? Bit from to start with. But even when you look at that data, um, that we were told this figure at the beginning that there was ninety five percent effectiveness from the vaccine. Remember those headlines yes. around the world. Now, first yes. of all, everyone knows that now isn't relevant. It may have been true for a short time. We don't know, but certainly we know it doesn't prevent infection. We were told ninety five percent effectiveness in preventing infection. Now, most people, Bradley, would think if you vaccinate one hundred people. 95% of 95 of those 100 people will not get infected. But that wasn't true because we know that now, you know, certainly very quickly. Well, I'm a fit young lad. I thought to myself, I don't necessarily need the vaccination, yeah. but I'm going to get it to protect my my parents, yes. my my grandparents, people yeah. around me. If I go to a yeah. supermarket, I want to protect people. Yeah. And then I got the second because I was again, I need yeah. to protect people. Yeah. Third one, I want to go on holiday. <laughs> right. It's the only reason I'm getting the third booster. Yeah, I no, want to absolutely. go on holiday. And a lot of people relate to that. Yeah. And now when I'm being told I need to get another boost, I'm like, are you having a laugh? Like, yeah. no more. Yeah, yeah. So so just to finish on that point, Bradley, so um, that's what we thought. And ultimately, when you look back and you look at the information and break it down, that 95% effectiveness was a relative effectiveness compared to people who didn't have the vaccine to prevent infection. But when you actually look at it on an individual level, you had to vaccinate 119 people to prevent one person being infected. So what should have really been told to the public is, our data tells us that there's a one in 119 chance, less than less than 1%, right, chance. If you take the vaccine, it'll prevent you getting infected from the original Wuhan strain, which then evolved anyway, which meant that one in 119 then, you know, yeah. be, so the question then is, what's the benefit in preventing from serious illness and death? And uh, uh, and we'll, I'll just finish this point because I think this is really, really important to, to for people to understand how how shocking and how bad the situation is. So a reanalysis was done a few months ago, published in a peer-reviewed journal by independent scientists, independent drug industry, very eminent in their fields. And they were able to reanalyze those original trials that led to the approval of the vaccine. And they found this. In the original trials, you were more likely to suffer a serious side effect from the vaccine. Disability, life-changing, causes you to go to hospital, including heart attack, strokes, whatever, than you were to be hospitalized with COVID. What that means is, from the beginning, it's likely that the vaccine was always going to do more harm than good. That's the first thing. And then in, in relation to heart disease, um, lots of other evidence has come out showing that essentially, and I've been managing patients as well, Bradley, who are vaccine injured, anything and everything that can go wrong with the heart actually is happening because of these vaccines. Because the spike protein we thought would stay in the arm seems to be distributed throughout the body. 
either toxic effect directly to the heart or cause an autoimmune reaction. So that means electrical disturbances of the heart. It means heart failure. It means heart attacks. It means sudden cardiac death. And just to give you some perspective in terms of the serious adverse events in general overall, it was about one in 800 at two months, at least one in 800. Recently, the government have released figures to look at the benefits of the vaccine based upon one million people vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And I think people would be quite shocked when they find out that if you're over 70 in the highest risk group, you have to vaccinate 2,500 people to prevent, to prevent one severe hospitalization. And it, it goes up to 7,000 if you're something at 7,500 between 60 and 70. If you're under 60, mate, you've got to ba basically vaccinate tens to hundreds of thousands of people to prevent one person having a, a, a hospitalization with severe COVID versus a harm rate of at least one in 800. And a death rate, now this is, I've not said this before and I'll say this to you now because it's not, again, based upon the best quality level of evidence, but it's best based upon a recent publication in a peer-reviewed journal where they, they guessed how many people could have been, I'll say this, could have been killed because of the vaccines. This is in America. And they found a figure of, within tw in 2021, 278,000 Americans, which is basically, I mean, that's extraordinary. That's about, so we're talking about, you know, um, a harm rate for death, which could be about one in a thousand, mate. Now, that is, now, if you look of, at the excess deaths going on. Ages? What ages are they? Well, it was on average, basically. On average. But, you, you know, it's interesting you say that because a lot of the data on the heart problems seem to be, it's affecting everyone, but there's a higher proportion of people where they've been affected aged between the ages of, say, 16 and 40, um, who are having cardiac arrests or, you know, heart attacks. This is unprecedented. So... To come back to answer your question in terms of the excess deaths that we're seeing at the moment, which are predominantly being driven by cardiovascular disease, right? So heart attack or stroke. From my point of view, as an academic in this field who doesn't have any conflicts of interest, who was very pro-vaccine, who took it, without a shadow of a doubt, the primary driver until proven otherwise of the excess deaths is the vaccine. Wow. <clears throat> and that's a big statement. A lot of people will disagree with that. But you've done your research and you're sure. more and more evidence. Is coming. Uh, and and you know, and it's not here to scare people as well. I think we just people want to get to the truth, Bradley. Yeah. This is ongoing. I've called for it to be stopped. I published in a peer-reviewed journal about my analysis on this, um, and uh, you know it's a lot for people to take in. And and I think some of the detractors or things, you know, people can Google it and see in the media what yeah. people are saying. I think a lot of it is driven by you know scientists uh, who are funded by the drug industry. But I don't think it's really nefarious. It's about they're taking backhanders. I think there's a culture that's been created. I think some of it's just human psychology, right? Because think about how indoctrinated we were. And people and changing one's mind is actually one of the most terrifying experiences people can go through. And then changing one's mind about something like this, where realizing that your friends and your relatives you may have been seriously harmed, people yeah, that you course. know have died from something that should never have been approved. But not just that, mate. It was mandated. It was coerced in many countries. Yeah, you know, I was involved in trying to overturn and helping overturn the vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. And I was I campaigned on that at the end of 2021 and got quite a good, you know, mainstream media coverage on it. Um, as soon as they started mandating stuff, I thought there's something really off here. And the only people that have really benefited from things like mandates of the drug industry and you know, Pfizer made what 100, 100, more than a hundred oh, billion dollars. I was gonna ask later on. Yeah, like, yeah. like when the vaccines were first introduced, we were promised by high-profile politicians and health experts that having the vaccine would prevent transmission and stop the spread. And 
I think some of them made a U-turn, haven't they? Like I think Dr. Drew I saw on Twitter this morning yeah. has made a U-turn. There's a yeah. lot of doctors now looking at the evidence, looking at the data and going, yes. oh God, what's going on here? Yeah. Absolutely. So not, not just yourself. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think um, the facts are quite clear. And then it does take a bit of, um, you know, I, uh, it, it takes courage to be vulnerable and say, listen, we got this wrong. But then it's to, what we need to do is, uh, is, is to understand why we got it wrong, how we got it wrong. And then what do we need to do moving forward to prevent this ever happening again, Bradley? And I think yeah. there are solutions that we can, you know, implement about drug industry controlling data you know, a lot of people don't may be shocked to hear. And in fact, don't be surprised if your doctor doesn't know this. Most doctors don't even know this. You know, I was, um, last year, I spoke at the British Medical Association annual conference at a, at, a, at a meeting that was held there. And one of the audience members was the chairman of the BMA. And I presented, a, I did a presentation. It wasn't on the vaccines. It was all about the corporate capture of medicine and public health, the commercial influence and how that's damaging for doctors and for patients. And I mentioned a recent BMJ investigation at the time that had exposed that our drug regulator, the MHRA in this country, got 86% of its funding from pharma. And he didn't believe it, like as in he was shocked. Yeah. So imagine this is a chairman of the BMA. If he doesn't know this, how do you expect other people to know it? And when people hear it, they're like, oh, that... What? Doesn't make sense, does it? No, absolutely. So we need to remove all these commercial conflicts of interest. Well, I see like in America, CNN is sponsored by Pfizer. Yeah. The recent Brit Awards were sponsored by Pfizer. They've got a big money. Yeah, and absolutely. They're going to get people on their side yeah. because obviously we're watching it. We as consumers watching TV, if it's on the news on BBC or on CNN, we we're going to trust it. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's quite dangerous. Oh, it's, and it's very dangerous. And and many doctors get the, a lot of their information. Um, certainly, uh, on like for example, when I spoke to the chair of the BMA, Char Nagpal, at the time, and I I by this stage I'd realised there was a problem with the vaccine. I was like, yeah, there's an issue. There's a heart issue here. And I spent a couple of hours talking to him. And at the end of the conversation, he said, Asim, no one appears to have critically appraised the evidence as well as you have from everyone I've spoken to. Most of my colleagues are getting their information on the benefits of the vaccine from the BBC. Yeah. Rochelle Walensky, uh, uh, you know, the uh, former chair of the CDC in America, said the same thing about CNN. Her optimism from the vaccine came from CNN. So what a lot of these big corporations have done over time is had more and more influence of our, over our media and therefore, we're just getting one version of the truth, which often is not even the truth. It's just manipulations and, and, and well, downright lies. You mentioned it earlier. If they can do it with processed food, they can do it with anything like the vaccines. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, We've got some work to do to sort that course. out. <laughs> I'm going to take a minute out of this podcast now to talk about one of the companies I'm involved in, Leap Academy. Now, I've always been interested in helping others follow my path in the fitness industry and get qualified. And about a year ago, I was presented with an opportunity to work with some other great experts in the field to deliver courses to get you qualified. Leap Academy launched in Jan 2022 and the response has been incredible so far with 600 current students to become PTs and nutritionists. If you're interested in joining the fitness industry, I would 100% recommend Leap Academy. Our courses are fully flexible so you can study around your work schedule and family commitments. And our prices are amazing value. If you want to find out more, check out the link in my Instagram bio or DM me. You can use the code BRAD2023 for 30% off. Another thing I've witnessed, because obviously I love my sports, so I've seen football games stop. There's people in the crowds having cardiac arrest. Yeah. Like numbers that we haven't seen before. And then you've got actual athletes who are super fit. Um, I think it was, um, is it Damar Hamlin, in, in, an NFL player recently? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I've seen a basketball player. Yes, it's happened before, but 
when he did an interview, I saw the interview. He did one. He it almost like he was being silenced. Yeah, almost like he did couldn't explain what happened to him. Yes, and I saw did that. You see it, that? It was very interesting his reaction when he was asked about did your, did your doctors tell you what might have caused it, and he thought about it for a while, which means he knew it wasn't that he said no, yeah. and then he said I'd rather not go there. Now. It could be anything. It could be anything. I'm not saying but, yeah. but given the climate that we're in, yeah. and we know that this causes sudden cardiac death, let's just say that it's irrefutable that the COVID mRNA vaccines, what we need to find out is the prevalence of it, it causes sudden cardiac death. Yeah. We've got lots of data on that. We've got autopsy studies that show that, that yeah. that's what happens, right? So it does, yeah. for sure. Because um, in the past, you've had Mwamba, who obviously at Spurs, he had yeah. a medical arrest, and yeah. had Christian Eriksen recently as yes. well, who's yeah. recovered. So that was prior... COVID. Yes. So people might argue, well, it was happened before. No, so. no, sure. Absolutely. So, you know, I've um, published actually in the BMJ stuff about how we can improve the, our survival from out of hospital cardiac arrests. And you're absolutely right. Um, you know, th those things have been ongoing, but I think what's changed is we know there is now yeah. uh, tens of thousands more cardiac arrests happening wow. beyond the baseline. Um, and, uh, you know, in the year. So therefore something, the question is, what has changed? to increase this. Yeah. And the only evidence we have, well, we can speculate on other things which we talked about, lifestyle, but the only evidence we where, where the only risk factor we have with clear evidence on studies that point to saying we can definitively say this is a factor is the vaccine. Wow. Okay, next question. I'm taking it all in. And a lot of people will be listening to this go, wow. And it's good for people to listen. Yeah. They can listen to this and then they can do their own research. They can follow you and then they can make their own opinion. Absolutely. Which is a free world. Right? Yeah, free and you know, absolutely. My job as a doctor, I mean, I'm a, someone that's very much about ethical evidence-based medical practice. What does that mean? It means giving patients information in a way that they can understand yeah. in its totality, free from commercial influence if it's possible, and then going with whatever they want to do. So taking into consideration the, their individual preferences and values, Bradley, and everyone's different. And that's what we should all be doing in medicine. Oh, 100%. And a lot of people will be confused because you listen to one scientist who's credible, it's got all the degrees, yourself got all the degrees, <laughs> and you're literally debating within each other. Yeah. So people are confused. They go, well, who do I, who do I listen yeah. to? Like, I think Dr. Fauci, for, for, for example, was the leading doctor in the whole pandemic. Yeah. Uh, all right, we had Matt Hancock in the UK, but Dr. Fauci was the main one. Yeah. And it seems like he's gone a bit, where is he now? Where has he gone? I don't know, mate. He's disappeared, hasn't he? Yeah. And, he's disappeared. And we, been... all, we all trusted him. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. Uh, and I'm not saying that he was wrong, but he gets a lot of, back, uh, he gets a lot of uh, what's, what's the word? Criticism. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think that there are there have been clear financial ties linked with Fauci and drug companies. I think there's a lot of, yeah, a, a lot of these government figures, unfortunately, and this is just the creeping, increasing influence and power of these drug companies and big corporations over yeah. time, that they've captured politicians, they've captured medical establishment bodies, they've captured institutions like universities, they fund the research, they fund medical education. You know, they've, they've got yeah. way too much power. And, and the problem is, Bradley, is that people need to just fully appreciate that these companies are not your friend. They are there to make money. They're not there to give you the best treatment. And they will spin things in a way that will make you believe they're, pardon my, can I, pardon my language, yeah. they're bullshit. Of course. Yeah, you can, you can swear on this. <laughs> yeah. You can swear. No, but mate, honestly, honestly, yes. we, need to, we need to call it out. And in terms of people getting confused, I get that. What do you do in that situation? Well, I think go with your intuition and your gut. 
who seems more credible to you? Yeah. And is that person, does that person, is that person coming from a place of values? Is that person, has he got some financial interest in what he's saying? Yeah, because you could, people might argue, you have a financial because you're going on more podcasts, etc. I'm not paying you today. No. But then you're working your nuts off to, to speak the truth and because yeah. you've got passion with it. Yeah, I mean, listen, we all need to make a living, mate. Of course. Um, I have not been paid for any of this advocacy no. work. Most, not 80, not, you know, 80% of my time is actually devoted to being a kind of an activist and an advocate for health. Yeah. And that doesn't pay me anything no. at all. Um, but that's and, a priceless feeling, right? No, that's absolutely no. But it brings meaning into my yeah, life, and it's important stuff. But you know, people though, people should question it if they think that there is some fun. We've all got yeah. our own biases. We've got personal biases. I've got a bias as a foodie. Yeah. Right. You know, I grew up in a household. I love home cooked food. My dad taught me to cook. Yes. I worked in hospitals. And thought, bloody hell, what's this junk they're serving me yeah. here? Right. So I've got a bias into healthy food and nutritious. You know, you can say that's a bias for me. hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, what's your thoughts on the rollout of COVID vaccines to children? Well, I think that one of the things I concluded, Bradley, as well, when I did my analysis is that if the original trial data, which it suggests quite strongly, you know, shows more harm than benefit for everybody, yeah. it means it should never have been approved for anyone, even vulnerable yeah. or elderly people, in my view. Therefore, the conversation with children, shouldn't we, we don't even get to that conversation with no. children. Um, but just to answer it more specifically, children are almost zero risk from COVID. We know it doesn't stop transmission. Mm. They're not protecting granny or anyone else. And we know it causes harm. Therefore, it's a no-brainer. It shouldn't go anywhere near children. And during vaccine. that pandemic, like that lockdown period, we saw kids being forced to wear masks. Yeah. And that was horrible to see. Like these kids were crying, trying to get it off their yeah. face and they're well, forced. Well, you know, the mask situation, I mean, I... Maybe some people are comfortable with it. I personally don't like wearing masks. Yeah, is there any science but, behind the mask? But they work? No, so so we've had the most recent analysis done by the Cochrane Collaboration, which are an independent group of scientists who are very good at data analysis. And they pulled all the data together, the best quality evidence on masks. And they basically said there's little to low quality evidence suggesting that the masks have any benefit in preventing transmission of either COVID or flu. But surely they knew this at the very start. Of course they did. I was shocked when they started coming up with this mask stuff because I trained as an interventional cardiologist. I was doing keyhole heart surgery yeah. for my early career. Yeah. And, you know, even in the cath lab when we do, we don't wear masks, right? Mm. When we put pacemakers in, we do. But a lot of it is if we're cutting people significantly, and surgeons do that, it's to avoid blood splash. It's not to prevent infection being spread. Yeah. And the, one of the reasons for that, Bradley, is that the smallest hole of these surgical, uh, surgical masks is hundreds to thousands of thousands of times larger than the size of the virus particle. So it was never, even, even from a sort of basics science and physics point of view, it was never going to stop the spread. And of no. course, the evidence when they did the trials to look at it, there's almost no evidence of benefit. Now, if people wanted to wear a mask, they thought, you know what? Okay, you know, there are limitations with all these studies. I feel more comfortable and I feel better and I feel you know, that um, psychologically it just makes me feel better to wear a mask and maybe it does do some benefit. Fine, let people make that choice. But, I don't but to mandate those... and coerce it and tell yeah. people they should wear it in kids. Yeah. When there is also, in my view, there is a negative mental health impact and it perpetuates the fear, Yeah. right? A lot of what drove the behavior of people during lockdown, even policymakers, was one of an exaggerated fear. I'm not saying COVID wasn't real. I'm not saying COVID yeah. wasn't devastating. For I had elderly... COVID and it, it did knock me for six. Yeah, I've had it twice. Yeah. Elder, elderly, vulnerable people, absolutely devastating. But it was important to break down the numbers for people so they understand what their risk was, so they weren't overly fearful. Because when you're when you're in that state, one, it's not good for your mental health, not good for your physical health. Yeah. Um, but also, it it stops you engaging in critical thinking as well and being rational. 
and and then we've had all this irrational response. So just to break it down, for example, one survey in America um, found that 50% of adult Americans thought that their risk of being hospitalized with COVID if they got it was 50%. In other words, one in two chance. When the figure was not even close to that, it was maybe less than one in a thousand. So those figures, telling patients those numbers in a way that are members of the public in a way they can understand is so important. Mm. I think people want to hear that information. They want to know that. They want to know the truth. Yeah. We all want to know the truth. Absolutely. We deserve to know the yeah, truth. Yeah, 100%. And what is your, when I see someone wearing a mask today, right? I'm like, cool. I, I, I respect that you're wearing a mask, but I just don't feel like they know the truth. They don't, they don't. know the science behind it. So they still feel like a mask yeah. works. Yeah. So they trust the government. Yeah. They are, you know, psychologically, I suspect, I, I tend to find and notice people wearing masks in general who are older and the older mm. people were more vulnerable anyway. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is just fear driven. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because when you do wear a mask, I guess you're touching it, so putting germs onto the mask. Oh, yeah. And also then people didn't even wear the mask properly and actually yeah. can make it give you the illusion of protection. So one is you think you can go closer to people yeah. maybe when they, you know, you're more likely to get COVID. But yeah, I mean, I've been in, in cabs with like taxi drivers and stuff with yeah. masks and they're doing this and that oh, and they're, they're well, washing their hands. I got kicked you know, out of a taxi because I didn't have a mask on me. And this was like later on the lockdown as well. Yeah. And I said, like, oh, really, mate? Oh, can, have you got a spare one? Didn't have one. And I got kicked out. I was late for the yeah. event I had to go to. And then you look at the science and it's, it's, it's not nonsense. factual and it's just nonsense. So how frustrating is that? It's very frustrating. And I'm sure many people can relate to oh, this. Oh, absolutely. Like during that lockdown period, I felt like there was this lack of common sense. Yeah. When people were sitting on the bench, getting that vitamin D, which by the way, was so important for 100%. COVID. 100%. And they're getting sent home or they're even getting arrested. Like, where was the common sense in that lockdown period? Yeah. Well, I guess you can say, uh, as you mentioned before, we can learn from it so that doesn't happen again. Yes. But for me, I was like, where is the common sense? Yeah. Well, pandemic of fear also was, yeah, it, it, for a lot of people, it threw common sense out the window. Yeah, it still does today. Um, so there's different types of vaccines. So you've got Johnson's Johnson's, you've got Moderna, Pfizer. Are they all, do they all play a role in this like potential? Yeah, factor? so it's interesting. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the data is now emerging that the, even the different types of vaccines have pretty much had the same minor benefit and considerable harms anyway. And um, it's, it's, we don't quite know why. Um, I think some of these vaccines with the so-called spike protein, which is what was damaging from the COVID virus, actually ended up being distributed throughout the body. So it's almost like, for people to understand it, how the vaccines caused harm, it's like in the people that got the worst affected with COVID, the people that were in ITU and really sick, where the virus went beyond just the lungs causing pneumonia and it caused all sorts of other problems with the with things like blood clotting and heart attacks and strokes. It's almost like um, the vaccines themselves have mimicked the severe complications of the severest people with COVID. Okay. And imagine just giving that, injecting that into healthy people. Yeah, someone thinks they're doing that, something good for the health. Yeah, and it's so that, that's, that's probably how it's caused all these problems. And I think, you know, I think people can be reassured badly that if they haven't suffered any adverse event in the first few weeks to maybe a couple of months, two, three months, then they're probably fine. With the exception, this is where I have a big concern, is that we know one of the mechanisms of harm of the vaccine is it accelerates heart disease. So say you've got a bit of mild furring that may not give you a problem for 20 years, yeah. right? And everything's stable. Suddenly you're getting a severe narrowing and you may be having a heart oh. attack within a year. And there is evidence that several months after the vaccine, people can suffer sudden cardiac death because of the vaccine. And that's, that's the most concerning. Um, it tends to be, however, in people, or that's a lot of people in this country who already have risk factors. So people who already got a bit of mild fearing, a bit older people, diabetes, blood pressure and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think people listening to this, rather than getting fearful of it, I think it's an opportunity just to 
actually really focus in on improving lifestyles because a lot of these conditions can be sent into remission. Mm -hmm. I mean, I take people off their pills all the time. They get they reverse their diabetes through types of diabetes. Yeah, and it's again, it's not complicated. It's but it's being it's being strict with certain things like just eating healthy food. Mm -hmm. You know, tasty food. Yeah, good food. Good food, tasty yes, food, yeah. Good 100%. for your mind, good for your body, that's it. Put a bit so, of garlic and broccoli and it's good. <laughs> absolutely, mate. That's it. That's what, that's what it's all about. Um, yeah, well, another question I was going to ask is, um, so if someone has got, let's say, symptoms, they don't feel themselves right now, maybe get a bit of heartburn, is it, do they need to see a doctor? Do they need to, what, what do they need to do? Well, listen, if it, anyone's concerned, of course, speak to your doctor, but just it, as a cardiologist, obviously you get trained in understanding what type of symptoms a patient complaints of are likely to suggest there's a heart problem versus not likely. And what are those symptoms? Well, the classic one, I'm glad you've asked me this because a lot of people, you know, you see these things on TV or these pictures where someone's got their hand over the left side of the heart. Mm. Heart attacks rarely happen on the left side. The classic symptom of a heart attack or heart pain when you're doing activity mm. is people feeling like there's a pressure on the center of their chest, right? Like or sometimes even when they're having a heart attack, like an elephant sitting on them or a fist. So it's a heaviness in the center of the chest. You go up into the neck or down the arms, right? Um, can be brought on by exertion and relieved by rest. If you're getting it something like that sometimes at rest and then when you're working out and you're fine, it's not the heart. There's no, usually there's not a problem with the heart, right? So there's that. Um, and that's really the classic symptoms of what we call, you know, blockages of the heart, arteries, angina, or could be a pending heart attack. Sharp pains that last for a few seconds, often quite muscular. So these are the things that I think people... But listen, if people are worried... And of course, speak to your doctor. But I think that that's the general rule of thumb. Yes, because a lot of people say this is going to cause fear. People that have had vaccination, well, got vaccinated, let's say three months ago, they're going to be all worried now. Mate, listen, I I, I had two jabs. I mean, I subconsciously have had a fear as well. Okay. You know, but what can you do? What can you do? You just just try and live a healthy lifestyle. Absolutely. That's the way forward. Yes. Any problems in the future? Exactly. So eat healthy. Cut cut the ultra processed food. So what are ultra processed food? Simple terms. Comes out of a packet. Five or more ingredients, yes. usually with additives and preservatives. Ultra processed, don't eat it. And that includes packaged bread. Yes. Right? Um, and yeah. Peanut, and peanut butter as well. So try and go for the organic version. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because people don't realise things like peanut butter is actually processed. Yeah. So again, educating yourself, which is key. Over the last couple of months, I've been using live jacket skin protection in my daily routine. A brand on a mission to stop the rise in skin cancer. Skin cancer rates have doubled since the 90s and are forecast to double again over the next 20 years. So not only is Live Jacket Daily SPF Moisturizer protecting my skin from UV rays, but from all weather conditions. I'm also quite picky with how products fill on my skin, but this stuff is weightless. For more information, visit livejacketskin.com and give them a follow at Live Jacket Skin. So what do you think is going to happen with the COVID vaccine going forward? Should it be scrapped or do they just need to research further? I think both. So it needs to be scrapped immediately. There needs to be a public inquiry. We then need to dedicate time and resources, Bradley, to helping out the vaccine injured. There's countless numbers of people, thousands, tens of thousands, maybe mm. more, um, who have got severe vaccine Have injuries. they got a voice right now? They're trying to get a voice. I'm doing my bit to certainly help them. Because um, I've seen a few rallies. I've seen on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, not They've been the ma- gaslighted there, in, you see. Yeah, not on the mainstream media. I've seen yeah, it on Twitter. I think one of the problems, Bradley, is there isn't still by the mainstream, that by the establishment, an acceptance and amongst many doctors that vaccine injuries exist because we were duped, right, in thinking like I was at the very beginning mm. that vaccines are the safest interventions. They can't do any harm. It's not possible. But then when you go back and you look at the data and you look at all of the, you know, it's very clear that... Um, they can cause all sorts of problems. But if a doctor isn't aware of it potentially doing that, they'll always miss a diagnosis and they'll 
tell people coming in who clearly feel they've been vaccine injured, so no, it can't be the vaccine. Mm. And that, what, that's what we're seeing. So there needs to be, yeah, we need research to help those people. Um, I think there needs to be a full investigation. Was there fraud committed in these trials? If there was, if, then of course there needs to be accountability for those drug companies. And if that's found to be the case, then I think that the profits they made from these vaccines need to be going back to helping people and compensating people. That's what they should be doing. But as you mentioned before, these companies are so powerful. Who can actually take them down if they the were in the wrong? The truth is more powerful than anything, Bradley, honestly. Yeah, true. I, I honestly think we can overcome it. And I think we have to also do it from a point of view as not pointing fingers at people. Right, listen, there are always going to be bad apples. I genuinely think, and maybe people think I'm too, trust, too trusting, I believe in um, basic common decency. I think most people want to do the right thing. and Most people are intrinsically good. They are... Um, uh, people hate injustice. And this is a failure of the system rather than of individuals. You know, um, the system encourages good people to do bad things. And that system is basically too much power to corporations that ultimately behave like psychopaths. That's what we're fighting here. So once we overcome that system together, collectively, then we move forward constructively. I think divisions and fighting and anger isn't going to get us anywhere and that can only be destructive and that's not good. Yeah, so I guess you're relying on more people like yourself, like I say, Dr. Drews, these big, powerful, uh, well-known, credible not doctors like yourself to get together and you turn and then start spreading their voice out. Yeah, yeah, They've absolutely. got responsibility, Absolutely, and listen, the thing is, also as a doctor, like, you know, um, information changes. You know, a lot of doctors are afraid, like, oh my God, what am I, what am I going to say to my patients now? Because I was yeah, pushing the vaccine. So listen, we got it wrong. You know, this is what we believed at the time. We did it in good faith. We need to now make the best of the situation. We need to make sure it never happens again. Patients are very forgiving, Bradley. Like, they just want their doctors to be honest yeah. with them. But if they're in denial and they just want to avoid talking about it, it's not going away, mate. It's only no, going to get worse and it's going to get bigger and it becomes harder then to regain that trust. Trust is going to be lost for sure for a while. We have to accept that. Mm -hmm. But... You know, we need doctors in the world. We're still the most trusted of all professions because we're expert, we're committed, we're powerful. You know, we're, we're powerful advocates for patients, and I think we need to just make sure we remember what why we went into medicine and that we have a duty of care to patients and we have a duty of care to being ethical. And part of that also means is that we have got to put our hands up and when we make mistakes and we got it wrong and we've got to be honest about it. Of course, and you look at the NHS now; like it's it's quite tough to be working in NHS because there's not a lot of people working in NHS like they used to be, I guess. And what do you say to young people that inspire to be a doctor? Because they're probably looking at what happened in the pandemic thinking, oh, that is tough. I'd rather go yeah. and uh, work on my TikTok. <laughs> Listen, I think I'm very privileged and proud to be do, do what I do. I think it's um, uh, to be able to be in a position where you can use your knowledge uh, to ultimately, well, treat illness and relieve suffering. There's, no, there's nothing more satisfying. But no, it is hard. Um, and there are problems with the NHS at the moment, with the system in general, again, because of commercial influence, right? So people aren't getting the best deal. And what, and there's so much stress on the system, then job, you know, morale goes down. Um, I think morale for doctors and nurses is probably the lowest it's ever been. So I understand why people may feel reluctant to go into the profession for those reasons. But I think with any job, Bradley, um, you know, do what you're, what you're passionate about, what you're interested in. Do what you're good at, what you think you're yeah. good at, and do something where you feel you're giving back to society. And if you can find any job that you do that fulfills those criteria, you'll be a happy person. 100%. Yeah. When things didn't work out footballing-wise, you might not know, but I was a professional footballer, a young professional footballer at Queen's Park Rangers. 
things didn't work out for me. So I decided what what route do I go down? Do I go down the football coaching route? Do I become a football agent or do I become a personal trainer? Something that I could easily transition yeah. to. And I found my feet in the personal training. And yes, it does pay well when you work really hard and you're at the top of your game. But the fulfillment I get every single day from helping my clients, helping yeah. people, um, educating people, it is absolutely Be- Being a better version of themselves, yes. right? That's what it's about. 100%. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now we've had a good conversation. What would you say to those that still claim what you're saying is misinformation? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, it, um, you can take a horse to water, mate. I think yeah. some people are going to be so... It's, it's easier to stick your head in the sand when addressing something like this head on, which is going to change the way you think and what your beliefs are. It's much easier to take that option. So I would say that, you know, try and look at this dispassionately think about this rationally that if I am right, because these people obviously think, you know, misinformation, just think, well, if this guy's right, then the sooner I realize and understand what he's saying, the better for me moving forward. And also understanding, listen, it's not easy to change one's mind. It's difficult, but the best things in life, you know, um, don't come easily, right? So I think um, it's just part and parcel of growing as a human being. 100%. Because and what, be willing to change your mind. I mean, because what's what, wrong? What's wrong with changing your well, mind? This is it. I'm very open minded. I when I'm wrong, I put my hands yeah. up and I learn from that. I've done that my whole my whole journey as a personal trainer. I remember when I was in my twenty, early twenties, twenty one, and I yeah. said fat people are just lazy. Now I'm twenty nine. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. I can say no. There's so many different factors. Absolutely. So you learn and you adapt. Exactly. And that's the key. It's about growth. It's about growth. Yes. So yes, people. Some people have this agenda, like left and right. I mean, it's like almost it's so divisive. Yeah. Uh, with politics right now, and some people on the left will say, well, they might be mass mandates. They believe in the vaccine, and then you might say, if you don't believe in the vaccine, anti-vaxxer, you're far right. It is incredible, and I can't understand it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you say that. So this politicization of this view about the vaccine, etc. Um, it makes me think that if People, if we've got to a state of a culture where people are more worried about appearance than the truth, you know, that is for me a cancer eating at the heart and soul of us as human beings. Mm -hmm. And that's a big problem as well, right? Because for societies to function, for us to function collectively and progress as societies, people need to be able to trust each other, Bradley. They can only trust each other if people are speaking the truth. And our governments certainly have not been speaking the truth for a long time. So people lose trust in government. We lose trust in each other. We've got social media that encourages, I don't know, fake people, if you like. Encourages to, we think we've got to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. And it takes us away from our authentic selves. Mm -hmm. And if we're all doing that, you know, uh, individually, then we're going to have less trust in each other. And for the mind, that's not good. That's not very, that's, that's very damaging. So we need to go back to just being more authentic. And having um, conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to happen. Yeah, and again, it's not us versus them. No. You know, this is one collective family. How do we move forward together? 100%. And fine, if people can get angry and get emotional, but you've got to take a step back and think, hold on a minute. How do I actually engage with this well, person? Facts over feelings, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. That's what it's about. Because <laughs> I feel like this is why I created this podcast, because I feel like feelings are actually overtaking the facts. Yes. And data and yeah. stats. Yeah. And that's what's scary. Hence why I created this facts over feelings because I think it's so important. Yeah. Here's the facts. How can now we improve knowing this science and this knowing this actual yeah. uh, data? Okay, last question. End on a good question. What do you want to be remembered for? Oh, wow. Um, 
what do I want to be remembered for? That sounds quite self-indulgent. So. Not just having a good hairstyle. And, yeah. Uh, and no, style. <laughs> I, listen, I think for me and for all of us, it's not necessarily about being remembered for anything. I think just, you know, did you lead the best possible life you could lead to be the best version of yourself? Right. And, and for me, what does that mean? It means acting with honesty and integrity, being in the world where my impact helps as many people as possible to be better versions of themselves from a health perspective. Of course, I'm most, most what, what, what drives me, what I eat, sleep, breathe on a daily basis is how can we optimize people's mental and physical health? So I, you know, ultimately we have our own conscience um, and we have to live with ourselves. So I'm not really worried about what other people think and I'm not too fussed about how I'll be remembered. It's whether I feel that I've done the best I could possibly do in my own heart. That's brilliant, mate. And where can people find you? What's next for you? Um, so I am quite active on social media. I'm on Twitter, a bit of Instagram. I'm known as Lifestyle Medicine Doctor on there. Um, Facebook, although I don't use Facebook yeah. that often these days because you get you get suspended quite it's, easily. It's Twitter. It's Twitter. Now Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. Yeah. Is that the best place? To I be? think so. Yeah, Twitter for me, absolutely. Um, and then uh, yeah, and I'm you know I'm going around the world giving lectures, um, trying to influence governments around the vaccine, but also with solutions moving forward. Yeah. So I'm you know that's because what other countries are you going to? Because I've seen. Bits on obviously yeah. Twitter. Um, I saw somewhere. What was it? It was in Thailand. The princes of Thailand. Yeah, I haven't been to Thailand yet. I've been in touch with uh, the actual doctor that's yeah. uh, influencing the, the royal family about. Yes, I help saw her. that. Because um, what happened there? The princess of. Well, of she, Thailand, uh, she, she I think arrest. forty days after um, she collapsed with an infection, but I think okay. that it looks like it was probably the vaccine or related oh, wow. to the vaccine. God. It's awful. She's in a coma as well. At wow. The um, but no, I've been in the states. I was on a bit of a speaking tour there. Um, I was on Fox News. Um, I was in Sweden giving a talk there. Uh, India recently has came back from India. Um, and my in fact, evidence, I was surprised to find my evidence, um, you know, in terms of my analyses and what I've been saying has been used in court, in a big court case going on around the COVID, COVID shield vaccine over there, which is AstraZeneca. Mm. Um, and I'm heading to South Africa soon as well. So yeah, just um, keep spreading the message and trying to get through things out through social media, through mainstream media, just to disseminate the truth. Yeah. That's it. Well, Good luck with it, and uh, it's honestly been a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. And I'm sure we'll do we'll do this again soon. Likewise, mate. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you enjoyed it, please share on your socials and don't forget to subscribe. If you want more information about my online coaching services and get it done, then don't hesitate to message me at Bradley Simmons on Instagram.